Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and free agency is just a week away. The contact period between teams and agents leading up just early next week, and then we will hit free agency toward the middle of the week. So today to talk about it leading up to and what we might be able to expect in the next week is Nathan Santo of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Nathan, how you doing? I'm doing great. I think my favorite part about this is that they call it the the, the 16th is the legal tampering period. <laughs> I can't call it that. I I just I, it takes all I can do because I hear it so often, and it's and I I try to avoid that as much as possible because it just it seems like a stupid name. It's it's obviously not it's it's not tampering because they're allowed to do it, and it's just a period where agents can talk to players. That's it. They, they can start negotiations. Let's call Before it the negotiation that. period. Before that, it's illegal tampering. Yeah. Men, the 16th, legal. You totally could legally legal. start. Ta- you could start that tampering and get it, get in there. It makes it feel a little dangerous, you know, adds a little spice. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they do it, just to spice it up a little bit and get us, you know, into thinking that there's something nefarious going on uh, in the in the weeks leading up to this. The GMs like to live a little dangerous, dangerously sometimes, you know, it's like, it's yeah, a, of course, got to live on the edge. Well, so. one of the thing I think all Seahawks fans are wondering is if Jadevian Clowney is going to be a Seahawk in 2020. And I keep going back and forth. And how I kind of want to look at this, Nathan, is, you know, not just the discussion of whether or not he will be or will he not be in Seattle, but if he is kind of that main domino that once, you know, that decision is made, whether he goes or whether he stays and some of the other things that kind of fall into place afterward, if, uh, you know, what what other things may happen if he stays versus some of the things that might happen if he goes. But I, I'm kind of curious on your position on this. Is this maybe a decision that's already been made? So I think that the tough thing with JV and Clowney is is the the dollar amount. And it, it's it's kind of tough to say because it, it sucks. But when he says something comes out and says, and there's reports now coming out that he said the Giants are a team that's on his wish list, it becomes more obvious to me that it's going to be at least in some way about the money, mm-hmm. whether that's whether that's a, a fair or not. So I think he wants to live in that 22 to 23 million dollars a year range. And the Seahawks have come out and said like 18 to 20 is where they want to be. And if the Giants come out and say, you know, 23 million, the first three years are guaranteed, that prices him kind of out of the range of the seat where the Seahawks are at. And we look at some of the contracts the Seahawks have recently given. They don't like to give guarantees past the first year or second. Some guys, they'll go to the second year. Mm-hmm. But after that, there's no guarantees anymore. They don't want to get stuck in another Cam Chancellor situation where they're paying a guy multiple years to stay home. And I, I get it. That's tough to do. So on some level, I, I understand in terms of fit, I would love to, I'd love to have him back. He, I don't think that he's as bad as the numbers indicated. I mean, I know a lot of people just get hung up on, oh, we only got three and a half sacks. And I think that's a really unfair way to evaluate how disruptive he was consistently. But if they were going to pay a guy over $20 billion, they probably would have done it last year with Frank Clark and not given up any draft assets, uh, to get another guy and, and, and go a different direction. So, uh, I just think it's probably, we're probably heading towards, Jadavian Clowney leaving. He's a really good fit for the Giants because he plays five and nine tech. And that's something that they'll want to do is have him move around to the inside and the outside. Whereas the Seahawks are more rigid in their in their uh, pass in their pass rush sets. You know, you kind of know what to expect on certain downs where guys are going to be standing. I'm not crazy about it. Like I'd love to have Jadavian back, but it's uh it's gonna be probably too rich for our blood, I think. Yeah, it's weird that the, you know, this report 
coming up about the Giants, because I go back to when it was right after the Green Bay game. Joe Fan talked to him. He quoted him directly. And I I feel like it's probably the one time that I remember seeing a direct quote from Clowney. It just probably the last time we've heard from him directly. And he said to Joe Fan was, I want to get that Super Bowl by any means. That's what I'm looking for. Who's going to get me there? I'm not looking to go out on no sorry team for no money. That ain't going to fly. I'm not going to fight through all that just to lose 16 games and go home with my check. I hate that. That ain't what I'm doing. If I can't do that, I'm not going to no team that can't win. So I go back to that quote, and then I see the interest in the Giants for the $22, $23 million number. And when I see the, the 18 to $20 million a week ago, from the Seahawks. This to me is the negotiation process. And when when I go back and I I think back to Russell Wilson and all that happened with that and oh he wanted to go to New York and all that business. Here here New York is coming up once again and I feel like this is part of the negotiation and and it makes me that much more certain that Clowney's going to be a member of the Seahawks. What if I told you that I think that if he's negotiating it's not for the Seahawks, but it's for the Indianapolis Colts who have $82 million in cap room and play a, a base four, three, that would be very similar to the Seahawks. I feel like he's working, he's working multiple angles, you know, and the Colts look like they're close, right? If they get rivers and then they come in and they get clowny, like mm-hmm. that team is instantly a contender in the AFC. He's not going to be playing for a sorry team. That team will be good. It's just depends. Like if the Seahawks want to give him $22 million a year and, you know, if they can bump into the third year for the guarantees, he's coming back. Like, I think that he would slightly prefer us, but there's some kind of line there, right? Where you have to make a business decision and there are going to be teams that are competitive. They might not have Russell Wilson as their quarterback, which I think we would agree is the best or second, you know, best, second, best or third best quarterback, depending on who you ask, right? They're not going to have Wilson, but they're going to have a, you know, a decent squad right there. That is going to be a playoff contender. They almost made the playoffs last year with Jacoby Brissett. Like they're they're not going to suck. Yeah, but old man Rivers isn't uh, the great. He's not Russell Whoa. Wilson. <laughs> no, he's not. He is he has King Laser face and he has like fourteen kids. Though so. <laughs> let's let's not, let's not leave that let's not leave that out. I I think it's tough. It's very tough. Um, I don't know. It's it's something. It's something that's yeah, something about. I don't think there's a lot of good places, better places for us to spend the money in this offseason. If they want to make a big ticket signing like who else do you go get if you don't go get clowny that's the kind of question i start asking right and that's why when you when you said that you didn't think that they would pay clowny upwards of 20 million because they wouldn't go there with frank clark well it is one more season removed and i think they saw what happened when they let frank clark go i wonder if they would make that decision differently i know there was an issue with draft picks and i I do want to talk about uh, the seahawks draft picks a little bit later too but um, that idea that they won't pay him upwards of 20 million. And then we see this report come out from Tony Pauline saying that the Seahawks are interested in potentially trading for Unique Ngakwe out of Jacksonville. And you know, if you uh, send a, a first or a second round pick for him, you know, much like the 49ers did with D Ford, then you're bringing in a guy, you're giving up draft capital. And if you're going to keep a guy like that long term, it's going to cost upwards of $20 million. Just that makes so much less sense to me to bring in a guy like Ngakwe, who hasn't traditionally faced a ton of double teams like Clowney has, and Clowney's well, more well-rounded, good against the run, and able to affect the the pass rush. So I, I think that if I were to spend 
uh, 21 or $22 million of the Seahawks money versus 20 or $21 million for a guy like Ngakwe. I feel like I'm getting more for my money by keeping a guy like Clowney. All right. I feel like I maybe will reach some people that I haven't had that don't listen to my podcast, but listen to this one. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the Yannick Ngakwe trade. I am not into it at all yeah. on any on any level, not my favorite. Um, if we're going to trade for a Jaguars defensive lineman, why not Calais Campbell? He'll be cheaper. Uh, he's a team leader. He's still really freaking good. Uh, he's only got one year left on his contract. So if he, if he flames out, we can just move on. Whereas if we get Ngakwe, we're locking in. We're locking in for two, three, four years. And I know he's only 25, but he doesn't, to me, um, when I look at his, like, the positions he plays, you know, he he lines up as a right outside linebacker a lot. He lines up as a left outside linebacker, a Leo, a right. He doesn't play the positions that we have available on the Seahawks defensive line. So I don't we don't need a guy to to line up way on the outside like that. We want guys to come to come in and play defensive end. You know, I don't think that's the guy. But no, it, it seems it seems to me like a backup plan. And I also wonder if it's part of this whole negotiation process, too. I, I just have to wonder if. Or if it's just John Schneider covering his bases, I, I don't know. But yes, I agree with you that that does not make a whole lot of sense either. So I, I do think Clowney will come back. I, I'm 98 percent sure of it. So that's where my certainty level lies. Where, where are you at in terms of percentage? Like on how how confident I am that that Clowney will come back. Yeah. 50 uh, 50. I think you flip, you flip a coin and you see how it lands. Um it it depends on if other stuff happens too. Like I think that there's like kind of a, can be a domino effect. Like let's say Washington doesn't find a way to uh, to franchise Brandon Scherf. Well, there's a guy who instantly becomes very interesting at, from a Seahawks perspective, right? Like that he could instantly come in. Um, he's a really good offensive lineman, instantly improve in the trenches, which is definitely what we want to do. We want to improve in the trenches, and you know th- there's just a number of ways that this could go. It just depends on what other teams do too. It's not just uh, us. Yeah, speaking of different ways that it can go, I mean, the Seahawks can load up on the defensive line, which I think a lot of people would be happy with. And they also have an opportunity to load up on the offensive line with Jermaine Effetti leaving, with Justin Britt, you know, having his injured season last year with and George, George Fant, George Fant potentially leaving as well. He's a free agent. And uh, Mikey Potty, your left guard, is a free agent, too. So they have a lot of flexibility to decide which side of the ball they want to spend money on. And I don't think I'd be all that upset if they decided to go with the offensive line. Yeah, wait, I'm, I've been making jokes lately that like uh, Pete Carroll is going to turn into one of those coaches that's a defensive coach that has an amazing offense in it soon because it just seems like there, there's so much. Uh, the, you know, you want to maximize Russell Wilson right now. He's the best player on the team and perhaps the best player in football. So you want to kind of maximize what's going on there, I think. Yeah, so that uh, that could be something that if Clowney were to leave and maybe because if you're bringing in a guy like Scherf, you know, where are you going to and they could probably do both or like Bulaga or Conklin or all, there's all these guys out there, right? Yeah. That They could bring in that it's not like guys are unavailable on, on that side of the ball. I heard John Clayton on the ESPN 710 Tuesday evening throw out a $9 million number for Jermaine Effetti. If he comes in under 10 million, do you think the Seahawks, because they passed on him last year with the $10 million option. If he comes in under that, do you think they, they, you know, consider it? This question is stressing me out already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't, I don't know. Would you, would you rather have a Fetty for nine or Fant for seven? 
Fant for seven. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather have uh, – Jermaine Fetty has been quite the experience in the Seahawks uniform. I like him as an athlete, but I just don't think he ever – kind of there's always just been little things you know he'll have streaks where he just gives up a ton of pressures in a, in one game and you then he'll have another game where he's awesome and you're like what is even what is even happening right <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense so i don't know it's it's a uh, it's been a ride and i don't know if i i don't know if my heart can handle more of this this uh this roller coaster with jermaine Fetty. It's too much. I, I understand. You you want to get off the ride. And I think a lot of Seahawks fans are in that position. And and so there's been – the, the most curious thing to me of this entire offseason, ever since it ended, every time there's a press conference with reporters, and whether it's Pete Carroll or John Schneider or if it's one-on-one with another reporter, it's always talk about Clowney. It's always talk about fixing the defensive line. You know, there's some other questions about dudes on offense. and. And players here and there, but I have not heard one reporter even even approach the question of Jermaine Effetti in a Seahawks uniform in 2020 to either Pete Carroll or John Schneider. And and it's just it's odd to me that it's not even a question that's asked just so we can get a reaction. Right. It's just like it's a foregone conclusion, I think, for for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels that way. I don't know. It's. The, the thing is, is we have some interior guys that I think are interesting, right? We've got a uh, beefy boy, Phil Haynes. Yeah, got, I think that a lot of people think Posich might have a future at center as a, as a solid center. He's a really good center in college. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's all these, uh, Jamarco Jones, a lot of guys that we think are interesting. And this is this gaping hole at right tackle. And yeah, if, I mean, if everything fails, you can go back to Jermaine Effetti, but it just really, it would really feel like a last resort, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, like just, it's like, all right, I guess we're going to have to do this again, you know? Now, but I, it's the thing that, that leads me to believe that they could do it is because when you do hear them talk about their guys, you know, trying to try and keep as many of, of their core guys as possible, it seems to me that, that w- it would lend itself to that argument. And, you know, whether or not they keep guys like Jaron Reed and Quentin Jefferson and a guy like Mikey Potty for another year. And George Fant has been with the team for so long. Among tackles in the NFL last year, I just want to make this clear. Jermaine Fetty gave up 50 pressures, which was the second most out of everyone. Yeah. Um, he was one ahead of uh, rookie Caleb McGarry in Atlanta and seven behind Nate Solder's corpse in the New York. <laughs> so, so like, this is, this is not good. It is. He was, it, it's just, I cannot stress how much this will stress me out. Like, if you want me to die, you should root for Jermaine Fetty to come back, I guess. That's that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and there's plenty of options in the draft if they go first or second round. It feels like you could find a guy. I know in the past, John Schneider regretted going too young on the offensive line. When you look back to like 2015, uh, after a lot of those veterans left after 2013, 2014. But at this point, I feel like you could put a guy at right tackle whether he's a rookie that that played pretty well in college and get a, a similar level of performance that you got from a Fetty for quite a bit less. So and then you could use that money either at the left guard spot. You could use it on the defensive line where they could use plenty of money. The big question to me is what do they do? You know, who ends up staying if Clowney ends up leaving? Because, well, we got to get Quentin Jefferson back. I think that for me, Quentin Jefferson is one of the most underrated players uh, of last year's Seahawks season. He was consistently excellent, was asked to play a ton of different roles and wear a bunch of different hats, played way more snaps than I think that he's 
would traditionally play and I think held up in most games really, really well. Um, as a rotational player, I think Quentin Jefferson's one guy I definitely want to see back next year. I love Quentin Jefferson. And um, so there's one guy that we want to see back. Um, what do you about Jaron Reed? Do you think Jaron Reed is back in a Seahawks uniform next year? I think it. Uh, I shift back and forth on this based on the way Clowney goes because I think it's difficult to to justify bringing back Clowney, Reed, and Jefferson because then you still have to find another guy. And I just I worry about Reed being that guy who is a really good run stopper. But those guys, you see the Seahawks go out and get that run stopping defensive tackle year after year. They pay him two to three million dollars, not upwards of nine or ten. And you you have him available on running downs. And I don't know if I just I didn't see the the productivity of, of rushing the passer with Reed this year that we saw in years past. And you still had Clowney able to take on those double teams, whereas you, you, I, I guess if they were to add another guy like Frank Clark, then it would be totally different. And, and you know, could they go out and get Everson Griffin and still be able to pay all those different guys on the defensive line? I, I think in that case, then you're risking a lot of money that not being available to be spent protecting Russell Wilson. Yeah. And the six, I mean, the six game suspension hurt Reed last year, right? Like it, yeah. it adds a, it added a tech tick mark against him. And then he had kind of a, I would say medium pass rushing year for his terms, but that might knock down the price enough that it's, you know, a lot easier to get him back than maybe it would have been if he would have had, you know, his ele- another 11 sack season. Right. Right. So I don't know if, if Reed's available on an affordable deal. I think that'd be be good business for the Seahawks. Um, the, well, back to your point about the offensive tackles. I mean, this draft has someone's going to fall to us, and maybe we can work it there. And there's lots of guys who, you know, the Seahawks when they draft, they love the guys with the super long arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there, there was lots of guys with nice, nice long arms that uh, John Schneider can salivate over in this year's in this year's draft. So I, I think it could be a good tackle draft for us. Well, let's talk a little bit about that coming up after the break, along with the Seahawks comp picks, which were announced on Tuesday and the Seahawks ended up with three of them. We'll talk about that and also talk a little bit about Michael Bennett. All of that coming up after the break. I am joined by Nathan Santo of the Seahawks Nest podcast, coming back for another guest visit on the show. Always like having him on. And Nathan, we talked about it going into the break about the offensive tackles in the draft. And I'm kind of curious, you sound almost as though maybe you're starting to develop a little bit of a draft crush and and looking at at one of these guys potentially for the first round or, you know, the first pick if it happens to slip into the second round. I mean, there's there's like five offensive linemen that I think people are. They, the offensive tackles, sorry, not offensive linemen, but tackles that people get really into. You know, they could say Wills, Thomas, Worfs, Becton, Yang. And Becton has the most fun tape. You know, you watch him just throw dudes around. He looks like um, if the the mountain was an offensive tackle, you know, uh, <laughs> so he just the way he just, you know, throws people out of the screen. But if any of those guys was to fall to us at 27, you know, you just can can see – and that's the thing that can happen in a draft like this where it's kind of loaded up at one position, right? And all of those guys that they measured out with the the long arms that the Seahawks love so much. And I think that I would be in Tinium. And then in the later rounds, you know, coming in, Ezra Cleveland, uh, he measured out really well from Boise State that he could be a guy that the Seahawks look at in those, um, you know, 59, 64, or maybe even the, the compensatory pick we picked up, which is, I think, 101, mm-hmm. right? 101 and then they got 144 and 214 and i think 
Well, so I, I play with the mock draft machines all the time, you know, and it, I think those three picks really kind of fill out our draft where normally I go into the draft and I think the Seahawks kind of need to trade down. They gave up some picks for in this trade or this trade, and we need to pick up extra picks. This year, it feels like we have a ton of draft capital already. Yeah, especially having the the pick at the end of round one, two picks at the end of round two. Uh, so, yeah, they have quite a few picks in that top 100. That's, you know, once you get to the and then a few picks to round it out toward the end, it, it does feel like John Schneider. It wasn't like last year when Schneider only had four picks and he had to figure out something to do. And I think that's you know a big reason why the the Frank Clark trade came in. And I it does seem like once a guy's they, they don't like to use the franchise tag. And so once they use that tag on Clark, it kind of felt like maybe that might be it for for him. Yeah, I it's it's tough. It's it's like um. Last year's was different because we ended up signing a whole bunch of free agents, right? And we had we were in position to kind of get some decent compensatories, but it didn't kind of it just free agency didn't work out. That was the offseason where we tried to sign Jordy Nelson, tried to kind of not a consu, tried to get all these guys that were cut because mm-hmm. that's one way you can kind of work around the compensatory calculation, which is why I think they might take a look at some of the cut guys like Tremaine Johnson or guys that maybe you normally are off the radar because that does let you kind of skirt the, the the rules a little bit, right? One of the reasons why they could go after Greg Olson rather than going after a guy like Austin Hooper. Exactly. So you get around the the restrictedness and you can pick up a few extra draft picks. And yeah, I just think the Seahawks are are looking to fill out that draft. The, the, you know who did this for a really long time is the Ravens. The Ravens just got a third round compensatory basically every year. Mm-hmm. And it, it helped them just gain a lot of draft capital, capital. And we see how much the Seahawks get out of these mid-round picks. I mean, holy smoke, some of the guys that are on our, the best players on our team came from the third through the fifth round. Yeah, the the Ravens have been. Uh, I think someone posted a a list of the teams that had you know consistently been on top, and it's the Patriots and the Ravens, and I think the Eagles were up there, and the Seahawks were probably in the top ten. So they've been pretty good about getting these compensatory picks. They haven't been so great about using them effectively on players that have uh, had a meaningful impact on the team. But uh, you know, it uh, hopefully that turns around at some point, and you know, one of these late third round guys has to work out at some point. Which what's the what's like the best compensatory guy that we've taken? Do you have that? Oh, gosh, it was I think Malcolm Smith was probably the best. Yeah, I don't I can't think of any of the guys off the top of my head who was like huge, huge. I mean, Malcolm Smith was awesome in the Super Bowl. So I guess that was that was definitely (laughs) worth it. Right. But yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, these picks are all off after, you know, the first couple rounds, you really have to trust your scouting team and do a really good job. And it's it gets tough to find a lot of guys. I like going through the Wikipedia page and you look and, you know, in the third round, there'll be like two or three guys that made a Pro Bowl, right? And the other guys all didn't. So it's, you got it. You're kind of digging for gold a little bit. You're trying to find something that, see something that no one else sees. And I think for the Seahawks, they look for kind of extreme athletes, right? These Mm -hmm. guys who have great athletic traits, guys who run really fast, which is why even though I'm not like a huge Cam Akers fan. The way that he ran at the combine, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to draft Cam Akers. It's going <laughs> to happen. Or like we're going to pick Denzel Mims in the first round. It's going to happen because these guys just like their athletic traits are out of control, right? Yeah. And and it's, it's like, all right, well, you know, this is what the Seahawks love. Because on some level, you can't teach someone to be a better athlete. It's not really possible. You can teach someone how to do footwork or you can teach them the kick step, right? Or the... Uh, you could teach them what you want them to do, but you can't teach them to run fast or jump high or anything like that. That's kind of your 
a little bit on some level you're born through. These guys are all working out every day. <laughs> they are kind of are who they are. Right. Yeah. And that's it, it makes sense to me why you would want to go for some of those unique athletic traits in a, in a league full of freaks. And I mean, when you're drafting at the end of the first round every single year, you are limited by, you know, not a lot of players who are obvious blue chip talent are going to fall toward the end of round one or end of round two. So then you have to start using some of these metrics to try and predict uh, some guys that could be good. But there's just there's never a lock, I think, or else that player would have been taken a whole lot earlier. It's why every year when they do the redrafts, you see guys that were taken in the third and fourth rounds ending up in the top 10 of the redraft. Like in this late in this draft, I mean, other than like the top three guys, I don't think there's anyone that you can really say, oh, yeah, that definitely that guy. I mean, you say that guys that are like probably, you know, I, I would be surprised if like C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy were bad, <laughs> but it could happen. You know, it happens all the time where wide receivers are awesome in college and they come to the pros and for some reason or another, it just doesn't work out. So, yeah, for me, there's only like, you know, three sure things, slam dunks in this draft and everyone else is like most, you know, pros and cons after that. So is there, is there any player that you would just like go crazy for if he was there for us at, you know, 27, you'd be like, we have to draft this guy. I, I just want it so bad Yeah, that I think that will be there at that point. I, I don't think I've, I've gotten to that point yet. I, I do think that like my favorite player coming out of the draft this year is Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. And so I, I just, there's no way that he'll be available. Have you ever heard me talk about Isaiah Simmons? No, I, I haven't. I, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. If Isaiah Simmons was on the Seahawks, it would be the greatest fit in terms because Pete loves guys like this in the middle of the field. They just unlock everything he wants to do mm -hmm. where this guy can do literally anything he can cover deep he could he can cover deep he can cover shallow he can cover mid he can play man to man he can he can rush the passer there's literally nothing isaiah simmons can't do and he's a freak athlete yes you're correct uh, isaiah simmons would be i i asked kevin how much would you trade up to get isaiah simmons like if, if he starts falling and he's there at like he's there at like 10 or 11 Kevin's like, I would give up a first and a first next year no, without even thinking about it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, not, not a question. I, I would He's, go, f yeah, the first this year, a first next year, and then even one of the seconds. I, I would do that to move into the top 10. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, it's just... He's nuts. That's and I great... don't watch a lot of college football, so I'm sure there's a lot of people who watch going, yeah, duh. I mean, uh, we all know Isaiah Simmons is really awesome. But I, I watched him in the, the national championship game, and I'm like, who the heck is this guy that's outside playing corner, you know, blitzing the quarterback, back playing safety on one play, you know, covering, you know, linebacker over the middle, working as a linebacker over the middle. This guy was doing everything. You want to play four, three all the time. Here's your dude. Yeah. Like it's, 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 but he's going to go like fifth or, or sixth. The chargers or the giants will pick him up and uh, good for them. That's, I mean, that's why you suck for one year. Right. And hopefully you don't mess it up like we did when we had a top five pick and pick Aaron Curry, because uh, I'll oh. never forget that, that that was everyone's like, this is such a sure thing. That's like my test case for like, hey, there's no such thing as a sure thing outside of a couple dudes, because that guy, everyone was like slam dunk. He'll be a great pro. And apparently he's a good coach now. So oh, cool. I mean, he's he, he sounds like he a does. good dude. It's just, I, yeah, when you got it's, when you take a guy number four overall, you expect him to be good. Yeah. My, uh, my big guys, like I really would love to pick Grant Delpit if he's available mm. in the Seahawks pick at 27. I know like probably a lot of people don't think we need a safety, but, uh, that guy, I know that. And another thing too, is people probably hate that when the, when the junior tapes better than the senior tape or whatever, you know, sure. the, the second two years ago, but man, that'd be, that'd be really cool to have a, a guy who can play versatile, versatile players in the middle of the field. That's what Pete, 
Pete Carroll, I think, really wants. So yeah. yeah, and he's another guy that I could I could definitely see as a Seahawks type of player too, a big hitter and and a guy with a, a speed of safety. Yeah, I I'm really looking forward to seeing, especially once we get through free agency, to see where those biggest points of needs actually are. And uh, because I think that's going to help at least tell us if, if they can get through free agency and shore up the places of the greatest needs and go into the draft knowing that, OK, this is more of, of luxury picks or picking for the future and, and taking the best guy that's available at, at the different positions, then I'm going to feel a lot better. Yeah. That, another thing, too, about this particular draft is that it's crazy deep at some positions that I think if the Seahawks invest there it could be uh really great for the team in the future like wide receiver is a good example of this this is the the best wide receiver draft just an, an insane wealth of talent at wide receiver is it so and, good that they could pick a guy in the fourth round and he would not be cut from the team that's that's all i need to know <laughs> yeah probably yes i think so okay and but i mean like if a guy like jalen rager's hanging out at 59 you know that's a guy who in other years would be a clear late late first rounder and then all of a sudden now it'll be just like dk you know mm -hmm. some guy who should just shouldn't be there at the end of the second round it just shouldn't shouldn't happen and now he's available they go they can pick him and now we have you know maybe the best i think we already have a really good wide receiver core and this would just make it maybe maybe the best in the league yeah and having depth never hurts uh, especially late in the season you know when you had Tyler Lockett, when Tyler Lockett went out to, to injury around uh, or late in the game against San Francisco and you had the few games after that, it, it took a noticeable hit to the targets that Russell Wilson had, not having Will Disley and having only DK Metcalf. It uh, it really did kind of seem uh, it, it seemed to limit Russell a little bit through those few games. So I, it definitely couldn't hurt. It's not one of the biggest needs. But yes, if they address everything that they need to in free agency. And one of those guys falls in the second round, then I, I would absolutely be happy to have more depth at that position now going into the next year. I think everyone's first choice is to get better in the trenches. I think it's the most obvious right. area that Seahawks need to improve. But if if they can't fit, I think that we're in a position where other than quarterback, is there one position on the field that you are 100 percent confident in going into next year? A linebacker, I guess, right? With Bobby and KJ. Middle, middle linebacker, yeah. yeah. Well, even, you know, I could even say that KJ could be an upgrade because, you know, he's getting a little older, a little slower. And uh, I do, I, I like KJ a lot, but I think that that ability now exists to upgrade that position. The only thing I, I wouldn't say or that I'd say I'm solidly comfortable on are the two outside wide receiver positions with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Right. And, and even Tyler, you could play him at inside. You can move him into the slot and pick up a guy there. The the I think that at this point, you have to just kind of let let it come to you because any A plus player you get is, or even like a minus player is probably going to be an upgrade over what we had. Yeah, uh, we got from that position last year. And another thing is, is the guys that I normally I would feel very confident in, like I'd feel confident in running back. But I am I confident now because Chris Carson and and Rashad Penny are both coming off of serious injuries and the things we hear are not super encouraging, right? They're going to be ready for week one. That is like a danger statement for me. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh no, like that means they're both on track to be not playing the preseason and right. then probably miss the first couple weeks. Great. I'm so excited. So I'm, yeah, like I said, there's, there's, there's just so many, there's so many options. And I think on some level, you just got to kind of let the draft come to you. And if that means at 59, you look at 
your draft board and the best player available is Jonathan Taylor. And you're like, well, okay, we're picking Jonathan Taylor. Like, that's fine. I think you just kind of roll with it. And then 2020 NFL, you want to have a running back on a rookie contract. That just seems to be the thing. I don't think anybody wants to give a running back a big second contract anymore. None of those second contracts are working out except for maybe the Zeke deal. Mm-hmm. And even that, if he if he gets hurt, I mean, they're going to feel real stupid. So Well, and is it working out if they can't keep all three of the, you know, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, and uh, Amari, Cooper. Amari Cooper. I mean, if they can't keep all those three guys, then, then maybe it does hurt them. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless they end up with like Tom Brady or something. I, 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 that's not getting Tom Brady. That's my favorite rumor is that like uh, Tom, Tom Brady might go to the Cowboys. It's just every time I hear it, I'm just like, that would be the, the cr- I would not be able to watch ESPN for like a month <laughs> because every, every minute of every segment would be about Tom Brady and, and playing for the Cowboys. I think I would lose my mind. Uh, you know what? That is one skip Bayless reaction that I would actually go looking for though. Just to, just to see how, how skip feels about that as a Cowboys fan. Oh my gosh. Oh, I think it, at least I know that they weren't going to win the Super Bowl then because the, there's no way time is winning. I think in Tom versus time, time is taking the dub. So, so with that being the case, would you, if, if Brady were to end up in San Francisco, would you feel better about going up against a Brady led San Francisco team than going up against a, a Garoppolo led 49ers it, is team? It, is it bad if I said, I feel like it's kind of a wash. Yeah. Like, like, I don't think that either is much better. I mean, I guess if, if it's a playoff game and we're like going, you know, we're playing a home playoff game against San Francisco, I'd rather it be Garoppolo. I just think Garoppolo is really mistake prone. Mm. And the Seahawks love to get that toxic differential going, get those, get those, force those mistakes. And Garoppolo, you know, as far as I can tell, you know, he's a little, he's a little erratic. He can, yeah, he can uh, throw a couple picks. He, he misses some big throws. We saw it in the Super Bowl. I think everyone loves to just point to this, those throws. If he makes one of those two throws, though, they, they win that game. Right. So it's, oh, it's fair. It's fair to go after him for missing those those throws. And yeah, I just think that Tom, Tom Brady isn't going to miss a stupid throw or like throw it right to a linebacker or anything like Jimmy Garoppolo would. So, yeah, I, I guess I'd rather have them have Jimmy G, <laughs> Jimmy G <laughs> than Tom Brady, but it's close. It is. It does feel close. Well. Uh, before you go, Nathan, I, I, there's one other guy I wanted to talk about as we talk about players and, and defensive line being such a need for the Seahawks. We saw Michael Bennett went on the Talking Seahawks podcast with Joe Fan and talked about how he would love to end his career in Seattle. What do you think about Michael Bennett potentially coming back to Seattle? And I, I know as Seahawks fans, we all love to bring back the old players and, uh, and bring the band back together. It was great having Marshawn back. But uh, where do you think Michael Bennett is in his career if if he could bring some of that similar productivity at the pass rush spot for one or two more years in Seattle? Okay, we start with this. I think Michael Bennett does have something left in the tank. So from a just pure X's and O's football standpoint, bring him in as a rotational player on a similar deal like the uh, like the deal we did this year with Ziggy Ansah, mm-hmm. I I'm fine with that. I think that would be good business for the Seahawks. I think that that would work um, on an emotional level. Um, it's tough because the way he left and the rumors that surrounded him about how he would like be reading a book while Pete was doing his speeches and rolling his eyes and stuff is a really bad look. Right. But he's been on three teams since he left the Seahawks. And I think it might be one of those situations where you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And he has had two years now to like see what else was out there. He, he saw Belichick. He saw the Jerry Jones experience in Dallas and yep. Jason Garrett. 
and he goes and sees Philadelphia with Doug Peterson. Those are all pretty well-run organizations. So it's not like he went to like, you know, Cleveland and Miami, you know, <laughs> right. he goes to these other well-run organizations and he looks around and he says, you know what? I liked what I had in Seattle. And I, you know, Pete Carroll loves a good story and he loves burying the hatchet. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction that we ended up going. And I just can't wait to hear 72 neutral zone infraction. You know, it's just, <laughs> just, just what I've been waiting for. But would it be okay to pair Michael Bennett and Jadevian Clowney on defensive line? I mean, would, would the offense just get uh, free plays straight down the field? I don't, I don't know. It could be rough. Yeah. It, it could it's, be, it could be rough. Especially with, if we get a Fetty back and then we get the free plays oh on gosh. the other side too. Uh, okay. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, the one, the, one of the reasons why I like it, though, Nathan, is that he's always been a guy who's been willing to to work with other players on things like technique. And it wasn't even players where guys with Seattle. I mean, he would train with guys from the 49ers, you know, other players within the division, people from all over the league. And so he's been a guy who, uh, you know, even though you, there there were those things, you know, him talking about him reading books and meetings or whatever on his way out. I do think that there would be value to young players, especially a guy like LJ Collier, uh, to to have a Rashid, guy like Bennett around. Yeah, Rashid Rashid Green, Green and LJ and LJ Collier both both physically could do the things that we asked Michael Bennett to do, right? And Michael Bennett, one thing that made him great was you don't have to take him off the field on a run play, whereas uh, other you know premier pass rushers sometimes like a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, if we went and got him, he's not going to be great on a run play. Uh, they're going to run right after him. So you have to kind of hope, you know, you have to kind of scheme around that where Bennett, he, he, when he's on the field, you know, he can do it all. He stops the run. He gets uh, run stops. He rushes the passer really well. And yeah, teaching LJ and Rasheem Green how to be you know, like him would be very beneficial, I think, to the Seahawks future. And, you know, as long as it's not too expensive, I'm into it. I think it's a, it's a great, great idea. Um, I think there's, there's definitely a portion of the Seahawks fan base who is very against it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that that's interesting how he would be received kind of back. That would be, that would be kind of, um, something I would, I would watch for. Yeah. I think there would be an initial reaction, but I think, uh, once, I mean, once the guy's making plays, I think everybody kind of lets some of the personal stuff go, I think. Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly right. I think winning winning makes everything go away. And, you know, if Russell Wilson's our quarterback, do you know what the Seahawks are going to be doing? They're, They're going to be winning. Going to be winning. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's exactly it. He's the he's really freaking good. And it, it makes a lot of other things. Uh, and Michael Bennett has never had a bad thing to say about Russell Wilson. No, no, not at all. It's not like uh, Sherman where he decided to to bury <laughs> to bury our guy on his way out and I michael just, bennett says bad things about all kinds of quarterbacks oh yeah he's he's a he can really he's not afraid to say what he really thinks how right. about that <laughs> I, I think everyone uh, would probably agree with that sentiment so uh nathan really want to thank you for coming on you guys are coming out with a new episode of the seahawks nest probably as people are hearing this uh they've they've probably listened to either one of the two or both uh what uh, what are you guys talking about on the seahawks nest this week um, similar things, except for a couple things are different. I kind of, uh, asked the guys whether they, whether they would like to, uh, address a certain position in the draft or in free agency. And we also talked about what our favorite kinds of apples were. So, uh, yeah, you know, if that's, if that's the kind of thing you'd be into, uh, just know that, uh, red delicious should have been renamed to red disgusting. Oh, that they're was the a, worst. Yeah. That was the, my, 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 my hottest take right there. My biggest take. That's not and a Kevin, hot take. That's, that's just factual, uh, just apple takes. 
Exactly. Correct information. <laughs> uh, and if it's like if a, you are uh, hooked on on a red apple and red delicious is your go to, you just have not tried other apples. Yeah. Or you uh, something's wrong with you. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That could be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do with people. If someone told me red delicious is their favorite apple, like their favorite, if they were like red, <laughs> if they're like, I would eat a red delicious apple, defensible choice because uh, apples are good, even though I wouldn't personally do it. Um, but if you're like red delicious is my favorite. Uh, I feel like we need like a focus group or intervention or something. Red Delicious <laughs> is probably on par with In-N-Out fries to me, which oh, I, it, I just I like, can't do it. I like <laughs> like one maybe of the if you dip them in caramel, they're good. I like how one of the secret menu items for uh, for In-N-Out fries is to get them cooked longer. Like, if, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I like tried if that. that. I did fun. try that, and it it didn't help a whole lot. All right. Well, I've never I've never tried it. So okay. Where what's your go-to apple? Um, my go-to apple, uh, usually I get the, 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 the bag of honey crisp from yeah. Fred Myers. That's my, that's kind of my go-to. Uh, but I really like any apple that's crunchy, like crunchiness is important to me when I eat an apple, I don't want to eat like mushy garbage. <laughs> so I even like a granny Smith is fine with me. It's, it's crunchy. So that's all I, it's like, I'm a, I'm a hound for that. Okay. That's my kind of go-to element. What about you? Do you, uh, uh honey, you yeah, honey crisp is my go-to. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, I've tried a few others. It's the secret kinda, with the secret with Honeycrisps is to do self checkout, and then when you do it, make sure you put in a type of apple that's not Honeycrisp. <laughs> they're so expensive. They're like they're, they're very they, proud of the Honeycrisp. Why are they like two sixty nine a pound, man? I'm like I'm just, I'm not that rich. I can't afford. Well, by the way, Nathan, that's not a life hack. That's just stealing. <laughs> oh dang it! I'm sorry. I didn't. I shouldn't have said that on a on a thing. Now they're going to catch me. Now that now Fred Meyer is going to be watching and you in the checkout line. That's all right. I, you know what, when you put apple in the, the find a thing and there's like 80 kinds of apples yeah, and you're like, just pick Oh one. my gosh, it's overwhelming. Like if you just, just pick one, it's cheaper than the honey crisp. It doesn't matter which one you pick. No. Yeah. They're all cheaper than honey crisp. You guys got any movie talk this week on the show? Uh, we talked, we, we, we did a thing we don't usually do, which is we just bagged on a movie. Have mm. you seen velvet buzzsaw on Netflix? No, I haven't. Oh, it's don't. <laughs> I mean, I really like Nightcrawler, so I was like, maybe this will be good. We watched it. I was like, this is uh, straight garbage. I do not like this at all. So if you, I don't know, if if you like movies where art pieces murder people, you might be into it. But it, it was kind of fun to just talk trash about a movie. We haven't done it in a really long time. Yeah, I was so, going to say, I usually go to you guys to find out which movies to watch and and not which ones to avoid. So yeah, this will be new. We kind of just ragged on all of it. Netflix movies are just weird right now. Did you see that Mark Wahlberg's in a movie where he uh, plays a detective? <laughs> no. <laughs> on Netflix? Yeah. It's, it's, Netflix is just backing up the money truck to anyone who uh, <laughs> who wants to make anything. So, yeah. And if you want to check out Seahawks Nest Podcast, just uh, wherever you uh, find your podcast, that's where I'm. My movie list is so backed up. I can't just uh, I, I I can't go to the ones that uh, I need to watch because they're bad. Although I think Cats is supposed to be uh, somewhere on that list. Yeah, I think bad movies to watch. There's a requisite amount of drinking you do before you watch Cats, and it makes it. Uh, I mean, it's just the movie's a fever dream. It's about like cats who the winning cat gets to die and go to heaven. Yeah. So we're gonna vote which is the winning cat, and the winner gets to die. And then at the end, there's like this cat that sings a really cool song and about how none of the cats like the cats are all mean to her. And they're like, oh, you're the best cat. Go die now. <laughs> like kind of kind of weird, man. Wow, spoiler for all the people that haven't seen the Broadway show. Well, here's the thing. That movie, the plot is not what you're watching it for. And <laughs> I, it's so weird. 
It's such a, I watched the movie cause I wanted to see also I had $500 in free movie tickets. So I just, <laughs> I, I kind of had to spend through it. Yeah. You got to use that up. So Nathan Santo of the Seahawks nest podcast, be sure and subscribe to the show. Check it out where they listen. You can also uh, support the show via Patreon. Uh, what is it? Patreon.com slash Seahawks nest. Yep. That's the one. There it is. Go to it, check it out and, uh, and help support chip in with the show. If, uh, if you enjoy it each and every week. So Nathan, thanks once again for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. A big thanks once again to Nathan Santo. Be sure to subscribe to his show. Subscribe to Field Goals if you haven't already. SBNation.com slash NFL podcast. If you want to help support this show, you can go to glow.fm, G-L-O-W.fm forward slash flock. Support the show on either a one time or monthly basis. Lots more free agent news to talk about coming up in the week ahead. We might even throw in another show ahead of free agency if there's some big news that hits leading up to free agency. Until then, go Hawks!